Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. It's uh, it's Pentecost Sunday, which uh, is a, an amazing time. I, I don't know whether you understand the significance of Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the beginning of the church. Uh, it's when when uh, what happens is that the church gathers really for the first time. And uh, up until then, uh, there'd been a bunch of disciples who, uh, in the light of Jesus' resurrection, weren't quite sure what happens next. And uh, then Jesus, of course, has ascended into heaven, and they're even a little bit more perplexed. Uh, But they're following the instruction that Jesus gave, which was to wait in Jerusalem until such time as the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now, I don't think they knew what that meant uh, at that point in time. What does that mean in one sense? And uh, and I'm sure that as they waited in Jerusalem, they were waiting to see what God would do next. There was a sense of anticipation and expectation. But, uh, you know, if you've ever anticipated something that you don't know what you're really anticipating, you're not sure whether you've missed it. Because... If you don't know what you're anticipating, how do you know whether it's happened or not? So it needs to be something quite moving, quite powerful, quite, um, in one sense, undeniable. And so, obviously, on the day of Pentecost, if you've read the account in Acts chapter 2 that Luke gives us, uh, you will have read an account which is clearly undeniable in its impact, not simply on those people who encountered the Holy Spirit, but those people who encountered those who'd encountered the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so, as we contemplate and understand the nature of Pentecost, I want to draw us not to the specific account that Luke writes in uh, Acts chapter 2, but I want, to, I want to concentrate on one of Paul's, uh, in one sense, commentaries on the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so we're going to take some time in First Timothy, um, sorry, Second Timothy this morning, and because uh, I really, as I've looked at these scriptures, I've realised that this is part of the outworking of what Pentecost means to us today, and uh, that's an important thing. Now I don't know whether you've ever been up around Siligri or up to Darjeeling, and uh, it's a beautiful area of your nation, but it's cold. Um, particularly the higher you get up around Darjeeling and, and the like. And whereas Mumbai never encounters this need, they commonly set fires in, in stoves overnight to keep their housing warm. And they set those fires in those stoves uh, so that what happens is that there's warmth throughout the evening into the night so that they will continue to be able to get up in the morning and not be completely frozen over. And typically, in the firebox uh, in the morning, what happens is that, is that there's just a, a small amount of coals left in the bottom of that fire. Uh, the wood that they had set in the firebox for the night has pretty much been consumed. But it, so it should be. And then over the course of, of them looking at it, they, they look and they check there's a few glowing embers there and they get some small pieces of timber again, maybe a little bit of paper and they kind of set the fire on top of those glowing embers and they begin to blow on those embers. And without a match, as if by magic in one sense, what happens is that the fire begins to 
come into flame again. And they put some larger pieces of timber onto that and the fire then, all of a sudden, it's, they've got fire back in the firebox and their house gets warm again. That's part of the imagery that Paul is dealing with in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And what we're going to do is we're going to take some time this morning in that particular set of verses. I'm reminded of this when I hear Paul urging that picture I've just given to you of those places in Sydney. I'm reminded of that when Paul urges his young friend Timothy to rekindle God's gift, to bring it back into a blazing fire in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Something is glowing in Timothy's life, deep down in Timothy, and he must blow gently on it to bring it back into flame. So let's go to the scripture. Let's read. It'll come up on the screen behind me uh, if, uh, if you want to read it along with me just there on the screen. For this reason, I remind you, Paul to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. As we talk this morning, as I talk this morning, I want you to understand that, that those verses that describe the work of the Spirit in us today, that if we are people of the Spirit, we're people who are not timid. We're people of power, love, and self-discipline. The evidence of the Spirit's work within our lives will be evidenced by those three things at least, the nature of power, the nature of love, and self-discipline in our lives. And for me, this is a a pretty crucial element. Being a pastor, I've been a pastor for 28 years and, and I've watched lots of people grow in Christ over the years. And one of those things I love to see about people growing in Christ is that I see them actually moving forward in their relationship with God. I really dislike when I watch somebody who seems to be stagnant or, or kind of going around in a pool, going around and around and around and not actually flowing with the stream of the river. There's a stagnancy about where they're at, and I don't like that. I, I love this kind of thing. I love the evidence of power and love and a sound mind being the evidence of the Spirit in the life of a person as they move forward. Paul says to Timothy that he's to flam, fan into flame the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of the Spirit in his life. I love that because it reminds me I have a responsibility to keep the sense of God's Spirit, especially His gifts that He's given to me alive and raging in my life. Now, I've met a lot of people who want to make this a very spiritual enterprise, this Christian faith. And there is, it's a profoundly spiritual enterprise. Let me assure you of that. No question at all. But the other side of it is we have extraordinary level of responsibility in it as well. And some people want that spiritual element to be all about God and about what he does for us, and that I have no place to do anything within it. But that's not what Paul is saying to Timothy. Paul says it's your responsibility to fan into flame the gift of God in your life. And at first point, that's the gift of the Spirit, let alone the gifts of the Spirit at that point. We have that responsibility. And if you want God to be doing everything, if you keep praying, God, would you fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, what are you doing to actually get to the place where you fan into flame the gift that God has given to you? Now, obviously, there is that place of prayer which is important, the request of God that he would fill us. 
We remember Romans where, where Paul describes the fact that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We recognize that God is going to be doing much, but we have to position ourselves so that we are fanning into flame the gift that God has given to us. Being in church on a Sunday is a good start for that. Being in a connect group during the week is a good start for that. Positioning yourself with other believers who will encourage you, who you can encourage, who you, be, you can be taught by and who you can teach, who you can pray for and be prayed for by. Those kinds of things help us in the context of fanning into flame the gift that God has given to us. I've heard people talk about losing the fire of their love for God of their sense of the gifts of God that God has given to them dying back where they lose their fire. And I, I think in this term, here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, because Paul reminds Timothy that it's our responsibility to engage with God's Spirit. It's our responsibility to use the gifts. We have to blow on the embers of our hearts so that the fire doesn't go out. We need to blow such that we're inflamed and on fire. And you may think, well, just a second, isn't this the Spirit of God? Isn't it something God's, like God's got to do all of that? Well, clearly for Paul, he's going, no, not only. Yes, the Spirit is given to us. When we are saved, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes and seals us. There's no question of that. The Spirit enters into our life. If you read John's Gospel, toward the, the end of John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus has risen from the dead and is now meeting with the disciples afterwards, he breathes the Spirit into them. He seals their faith at that point in time. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God has come into you and sealed that faith. In communion earlier, when Ryan was speaking, he was speaking about that place of faith and he encouraged people who are at that point of investigation but not at the point of, of, of submission to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, just to observe. And you may have done that this morning. Well, before we finish today, I'm going to give you an invitation to take that next step and not just be an observer but to get all in and follow Jesus. Because let me assure you, you'll never be disappointed by that decision. That decision is a decision that will set you up for the rest of your life. And God will enter your life right then and there as you make that commitment to Him. He will seal that commitment by His Spirit. That's crucially important. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just seal us, He also fills us. And, and the filling of the Spirit is not something that happens once. Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 5. He says we are to be filled and to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I know some people who say, oh, I remember back in the 1980s or well, most of you weren't born then. So, OK, that's one for me. OK, so maybe the 2000s. I don't know what you call those because I really don't like calling them the noughties. Because that, you know, it's kind of like, anyway. But you know what I mean? You know, oh, I remember an encounter with the Spirit of God at that point in time in my life. I go, that's wonderful. But to have a single encounter doesn't make, doesn't make that sense of the Spirit overflow. John reminds us in John's Gospel, Jesus speaking, obviously, at that point in time, that the Spirit is given without measure. There isn't a sense in which 
the Spirit, God, God kind of pulls out the Spirit with an eyedropper or just with a measuring jug or something like that. No, 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 no. No, the Spirit of God is meant to flood and fill and overflow from our lives so that we impact those people who surround us. When we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives that kind of way, guess what? We are fanning into flame the gift of God. And that's important. I've often wondered why the fire dies down in people's lives. I've thought about that numbers of times. And I've watched in my own life. And I've gone, why is it that at this point I feel less passionate for God? What is going on in my heart? What is going on in my life that at, at this point in time... I feel less passionate for God. Oh, you know, all pastors get to that place as well. Just like everybody in the room here this morning who's a follower of Jesus. There are times where, where you're, right, yeah, let's go for it. And other times where you're feeling, oh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, not quite at that point. And I think Paul gives us some really clear instruction, at least one of the contexts as to why things die down a little bit more in verse chapter 7. Because he doesn't just say fan into flame, the gift. He then says, verse 7 to Timothy, For the spirit God give, gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God is speaking through Paul to Timothy that the spirit he gives isn't a spirit of timidity. It's not a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind, or self-discipline, or prudence. I, I, I ask myself lots of questions when I'm reading the Scripture. I'm going, why would Paul have to write that? Well, clearly the answer is because Timothy feels intimidated. Timothy is being intimidated. At some point, in some pa part of his life, there's a reason for Paul to have to write, Timothy, stop being intimidated. The Spirit God gives isn't one of fear. The Spirit God gives doesn't make you timid. Because clearly in, in his mind, for some reason, that, that, that set of thoughts are connected. And I, I think about that and I go, well, how does that kind of set of thoughts kind of get connected in your head? I, I don't know. The Scripture doesn't tell us how or why. But I have watched some people whose humility is is in one sense so over the top that it actually would be regarded as timidity. And that in fact, the answer is, is that it isn't humility, it is timidity. Because humility, you know, humility, when properly practiced in Christ, is a sound understanding of who we are and a recognition of that. And, and that's not brash when you put yourself forward and say, actually, I, I'm really good at that. Because if you are, that's called humility. Because it's offering yourself with the gifts that God has given to you into the situation that, that you have opportunity to impact. Maybe that was what was going on for Timothy in this timidity that he had. I don't know. I, scripture doesn't tell us. But Paul needed to write, remind Timothy of this because clearly Timothy was intimidated. In some area of his life, Timothy was intimidated. Now, it could have been his youthfulness, because if you have read uh, the, the letters that Paul has written to Timothy, and remember Paul is an apostle. He's like one of those older guys who has gone around the traps a, a lot and knows a great deal, and he's writing to Timothy, who's, who's one of his sons in the faith. 
And so there's kind of like that father-son relationship between these two guys. And, 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 you know, Paul writes in the first letter he wrote to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he reminds Timothy uh, not to let anyone look down on him because he was young. That could have been why he felt intimidated because people were kind of going oh you just you know you got a lot more you're wet behind the ears you you've got a lot more learning to do you're you're just a young guy now interestingly enough timothy at least at one point in time of his ministry led the church in ephesus and at one point the church in ephesus was reputed to be 60,000 people there's a lot of reason to be intimidated by a large church even when you're leading it when you've got so much responsibility, there is a place where there can be intimidation also developed. Whether it was his youthfulness, whether it was a false humility, whether it was just the enormity of the task that he was doing, Timothy at times felt intimidated. Well, it's clear that God doesn't give us a spirit that provides timidity or fear of intimidation. And as I look at people whose fire for God for the ministry that God has given to them, has designed them for, has died back, I do commonly see this issue of intimidation. Over 28 years of ministry, I've watched people take backward steps and they're being intimidated by somebody or some situation or something that's going on in their world. And God has not given them that spirit. God gives us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And when we allow that to be the spirit that is primarily at work within us, we begin to overcome the nature of intimidation in our lives. We begin to open ourselves up to the spirit of God and allow the spirit of God to work within us. Then guess what? That sense of timidity starts breaking from us. I'm not sure where you're being intimidated. But the truth of it is, many of us get intimidated one way or another. In certain situations in life, we get a lot more intimidation than we like. We may be being bullied. Uh, you know, you may be taking a backward step in your faith. You may be choosing the path of compromise in the context of your faith instead of the path of faith because, you know what? Something's going on in your world where somebody is at you and bullying you and intimidating you. Most of the time, it's a person. Sometimes it's a situation where we get intimidated by a, a debt that we may have or, or the enormity of what's going on in terms of a financial situation that we're facing. And we look at the enormity of it and rather than step in with, with faith, we step back with fear and intimidation. And Paul says, God didn't give you that. God gave you a spirit which is powerful, which is loving and which has sound, wise decision-making ability to it. A soundness of mind to it. Sometimes there are situations in our lives which are intimidating to us. And we need to go just a second. I need to find the Spirit of God in the middle of this. Because otherwise this thing's going to beat me down. It may be in the context of where you are at work. You may be with, uh, with a boss who, who doesn't get you, doesn't understand you. Who's asking you to do things a way which doesn't fit who you are. Now maybe it's to do with faith. Maybe it's to do with who you are as a person. And you're feeling more and more intimidated by them because they want something that you can't deliver the way they want it delivered. You can deliver what they need, the outcome, 
But the way they want it is not the way. And they're saying, no, this is the way you've got to do it. This is the way. And you're going, I can get to the same end, but I'm going to take that route there. And they start intimidating you and you don't know what to do, whether you should step up in, the, in, in faith or whether you should step back in the sense of fear. And the more that that situation continues, guess what? The more browbeaten you feel, the more belittled you are, the more bullied you sense yourself. And you know what? You end up in that place of intimidation. It may be at work. It may be at college, a university. Maybe you've got a group of friends, so-called. We call them friends. They may not be that friendly you know, who are at that point in time doing all they can to intimidate you because you're a Christian. I mean, seriously, you're a Christian? You what? But what do you mean? How could you, like, like you, what? We're Hindus here. Don't work like that. Well, you're not Christian here. What do you mean you, and you do, you do what with your money? So you give, like, regularly whenever you turn up to like like how much how much and you and and what happens is that people begin to intimidate you for your faith don't tell me about your jesus because he's i don't want to know about and 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 there's an aggression that sometimes occurs in those kinds of situations and what ends up happening is that we take a couple of steps backwards. We get intimidated. We dare not mention the name of Christ. We dare not engage in that context of saying, I'll pray for you. When, when one of them gets into a mess or one situation, you, you might pray for them silently, like without them close by, but you'd never let them know that you were praying for them in the name of Jesus because to do that would inflame the notion of the intimidation and the bullying and the belittling. You don't want to be in that place. Well, the last time I read my Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, reminded me that the devil is the accuser of Christians. And most of that intimidation is at the hands of the devil. It's not at the hands, really, of the person who's bringing that intimidation in those kinds of situations. We're feeling intimidated because the devil is behind the intimidation. He wants to close our mouths. He wants to shut us down in our faith. The accusations, the bullying, the belittling, the lying, the slander, the gossip that may come through another person is the work of the enemy, the accuser of Christians, the devil. So we must fight the good fight of faith, going to war in the Spirit through prayer and intercession and by being filled by the Holy Spirit afresh to push back on that intimidation. Intimidation comes as people dismiss our faith. Intimidation comes as people belittle us, as they bully us. And the Spirit God gives us is not one of intimidation, but of love, power, and self-discipline. We need to be filled by the Holy Spirit to break through any and all intimidation because that is the antidote for it. And you may be here this morning and you're feeling like, just a second, I, I, during the week I had this encounter with that person. I, I don't know what next to do with them. I can remember uh, an aunt of mine, a, a brilliant lady. She was a, a, an anaesthetist, so one of those people who assists in a hospital and in a surgery to put you under with the gases or the potions and lotions or whatever they use to, you know, to make sure that you're not awake. Well, she was a brilliant lady. Her husband was an ophthalmologist. He was... Uh, one of Australia's two best ophthalmologists, and they were a very intimidating couple. Total non-Christians, atheists. And I can remember at my father's 70th birthday, they were up and we were having, just before lunch, my, she came to me and, and I was just one of those 
setups. You kind of go, what is going on here? And she came to me and said, Richard, are you still pastoring? Yes. What are you still believing that? And she used an expletive for. All right? And I'm thinking, it's good to see you, Nan. I haven't seen you for a while. You live in, you know, she lives in Melbourne, not in Sydney. I see her maybe once every two years. Um, you know, and that was literally the beginning of the conversation. And she said, I can't believe you believe that stuff that you believe in. She said, it's just fantasy. I'm thinking, this is just going nowhere fast. And I felt a little intimidated and I thought, blow it. I'm just going to have a go back. So I just, I said, what's wrong, Nan? What's wrong with Christian belief? She said, it's just garbage. It's just nonsense. I said, so you're really happy for Bill, that's her husband, to sleep around with other women? And she looked at me like I was mad. And I said, well, just a second. Isn't that what you want to believe if you don't want to believe what Christians believe? And she said, well, no. And I said, but you're happy for the thieves while you're up here in Sydney for the weekend to go through your house, ransack it, and rob you. No. And I said, well, what's your problem with Christian belief? And she sat there and going, but you're all about the don'ts. You can't do this. You can't do that and all the rest of it. And I said, look, how about we just turn that around into some positives? You stick around with the wife of your youth. Right? You know, like, you know, that's, you know, don't commit adultery, but in a positive light kind of deal. <clears throat> and she went, I like that. I, I, yeah, I could do that. And I said, and what about, you know, you honor people enough so that you don't, you know, like, you know, so that you don't, and, and she goes, oh, so the thing, anyway, in about five seconds, not five seconds, about five minutes of conversation, she's going, oh, is that lunch? And she just walks straight out of the conversation because for her, she had, I mean, there was an assignment. I, I just, it was, it was one of the weirdest times I've ever had with, with her. And she just had this assignment to intimidate me. And I just, and I, and I can remember the point where I made a decision and I just went, God, this is wrong. And you don't want it. And I felt the Spirit of God fill me right then and give me wisdom, the soundness of mind to deal with the situation. The Spirit of God gives us the Holy Spirit and He's powerful. Now this power is a power that creates breakthrough, supernatural miracles, supernatural wisdom. It's dynamic and explosive. It's a power that is both personal and corporate, a power that creates freedom for people and which breaks through the bullying and the intimidation that Timothy was living under. And so many of us live under. That's what we've got to move into. We've got to move into being filled with the Spirit like that. Living out the, the day of Pentecost in our lives, which is to live not under intimidation, but in power, love, and a sound mind. Now let me help you understand something. It's not just a Spirit of power. The Spirit of God is powerful. Don't question that, ever. But the Spirit of God is not simply powerful. Because if the Spirit of God was simply powerful, the way we would deal with intimidation would be to intimidate. Right? We would choose at that point in time to push back in a way which was intimidating. Power versus power. It's virtually a political play in that sense. But God hasn't given us a spirit of power alone. God has given us the Spirit of God who is powerful and who's loving and 
provide self-discipline to us or soundness of mind or prudence dependent upon the version of the Bible that you're currently reading. So think about that for a moment. When you're dealing with intimidation, it's not, I'm going to stand up and I'm just going to stare you down, get in your face. Sorry, Marianne. Because you've seen that when two people who don't have the Spirit of God in their lives go toe-to-toe aggressively trying to intimidate one another. That's the way of the world. That's the way of the world. That's not the way of Christ. We live in a different kingdom. We work by an opposite spirit. We love those who hate us, who are our enemies. That's what we do. That's what Christians do. That's, that's people who are truly filled by the Spirit. That's what we do who are filled with the Spirit. So it's not just a power encounter. It's a power encounter tempered with love and the soundness of mind or the self-discipline required. And that's how we move in the opposite spirit in the situations which are otherwise intimidating to us. Where we don't back down, we stand up, but we don't stand up and push in and go brash and ugly and arrogant. We actually step in, in the power of God, which is a miraculous power, a supernatural power, yes, ministered in love. Ministered with a sound mind, so that when we realize the situation, we don't need to go beyond where we need to go to. And we don't need to be intimidating back because to be intimidating back would simply to be working in the spirit of the world, not the spirit of Christ. You see, the spirit God gives to us is not one of intimidation. It's not one, okay? It's not a spirit where we fear. It's not a spirit of timidity. It's a spirit of love power and a sound mind so the question for you and for me is where are we feeling intimidated this morning where in our lives do we feel like we're taking a step back rather than standing up for Christ in the way that we know we should maybe it's in the context of a relationship in your family maybe it's in the context of university or at your workplace Uh, maybe with extended relatives like me with my aunt Nan well I I, seriously I had to make a decision in the moment and I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me at that point in time where do you sense you're intimidated maybe you're intimidated because of a situation maybe you've got a health crisis in your family or in your own life maybe you've got you're intimidated because you've got a financial crisis in your life or an extended family maybe maybe there's a place of intimidation right now that's going on in your world and you feel that weight crushing you because that's what intimidation does it's designed to crush us to a pulp maybe you long to get married and nothing's happening and it hasn't for too long and you're getting intimidated by it I don't know anyone who hasn't felt intimidated at some time in their lives. Intimidation is an act of warfare against you to try to stop you from becoming all God intends and designs you to be. It's an act of bullying designed to confuse you, to put you back in your box. The devil knows that a Christian filled with the Spirit and intent on fulfilling their calling and destiny is dangerous and so he does what he can to intimidate us. The devil tries to keep us back through accusation, intimidation, and the lies we believe. But the Spirit of God comes to fill us with power, love, and a sound mind. 
So where are you sensing that you're intimidated this morning? Not everybody will be, but numbers of us may well be sensing that, that context of intimidation in our lives this morning. And what are you doing about it? Are you shrinking back? The book of Hebrews reminds us we're not of those who shrink back if we're Christians. We're not of those who shrink back. That, you know, that's what the book of Hebrews, because we're not people who shrink back. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to be somebody who will stand up in the power of the Spirit of God with an attitude of love and a soundness of mind so that we can deal with any and every intimidation that comes our way whether it's personal, whether it's attitudinal, whether it's circumstantial, whichever way it comes to us. God wants us to be free of every and any intimidation. He wants us to live in the power of love and power and love and self-discipline that comes from the Spirit of God. And that's the freedom that Christ wants to bring to you today. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital, where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3 Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi. 